When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And so I think that power of persuasion and that power of inspiration and hope are so powerful. And for someone to say their last words, that their faith in humanity is restored, I think that's pretty powerful. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Kisa Heyer, welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here with you. The pleasure is all mine. You, ma'am, made me cry earlier today. <laughs> you told the most amazing story. I'm a softie. I'm a dad of two girls. I'm a dad girl. And so I want you to introduce what you guys do. Okay. By telling our listeners the story. Okay. Starting with the story. Starting with the story. Okay. My story is about a father and a daughter. The dad's name is Gary, 40 years old. And he had a four-year-old daughter named Bailey. And Bailey loved to dance. She, her dad would go with her to her ballet lessons. They had a video of her wearing her tutu, dancing everywhere they went. And Gary came to the organization that I work for with a request. And the request was that we put together a film of all of their mashup, of all of their videos. And they asked for it to culminate at Disney in front of Sleeping Beauty's castle. And the reason that Gary asked for this is because he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He had glioblastoma, brain cancer. And this request was so much more than a trip to Disney. The reason he wanted it was because he knew he wouldn't be there when Bailey got married. And he wanted her to be able to play that video in place of the father-daughter dance at her wedding 20, 30 years down the road, whenever that would be. It was so impactful, and I always, for years, thought if I could be there that day to just see that impact, I, it would be amazing, but I don't need to be there. I know what that impact is for that girl, 
and for that family and their community and everyone who loves and supports them. And Gary actually spoke in the video, and his words still haunt me today. I remember them. He said, I want Bailey to know I was there, I cared for her, and I will be a part of that wedding day. And right after we filmed the video, he sadly lost his ability to speak shortly after. So those were literally amongst his last words. And then he died shortly after. And this was a few years ago. So we recently caught up with Bailey's mother. Bailey is now 11 years old. She's doing really well. And her mom reports that she watches that video on her phone every single day. And the work we do at Dream Foundation, I like that we have a little commonality with Dreamcatchers, Dream Foundation. I'd like to talk about just the meaning of dreaming a little later. Um, the work we do at Dream Foundation is to provide an end-of-life dream to terminally ill adults and their families across the nation. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. So, so many adults live in a world where they're taught not to dream anymore. They're taught to be practical and, you know, Make-A-Wish Foundations for Children. And adults are just kind of left to deal with whatever cards they've been dealt. There's not anybody coming in to help them create that memory. That's right. Absolutely. Well, we, we like to say that we are, and, and we like to say that, you know, children have wishes. Adults have dreams that can be long-spanning. Um, and I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about dreams. I speak about Dream Foundation and the nature behind our applicants' requests. And, you know, some of the things I think about are that um, dreams inspire us. They direct us towards new horizons they also allowed old limitations to fall away, and they um, provide endless possibilities. And so at any point, a dream is amazing. But when you're living your final days, that dream is so powerful, it truly becomes everything in one's life. So Kisa, how do you get to a place where you're working at Dream Foundation? Because I've never heard of anything like this in my life. and. Part of the reason why you're here is because this is such an amazing story, amazing mission, and I mean, you're changing lives. Absolutely. Well, um, the organization was founded long before I came. The organization has been around for 28 years and has fulfilled 33,000 dreams during that time. I've been there about 10 years ago. Um, it was not my background at all. I started off my career in public accounting as an auditor. Uh, it was not for me. I did a few years, got my CPA, and um, actually moved to the UK, to London, England, and I worked in banking. Uh, I was on a trading floor. Um, it was kind of a crazy time in England. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I got married there and um, moved actually back to the U.S. when my mother-in-law was terminal. Uh, we needed, my husband and I needed to come and kind of oversee the family business. We thought we'd come back to California um, where it was based for six months and we ended up pushing it to a year and suddenly it's been much, much longer and I've raised two children there. 
Um, and I was fortunate during that time that I was able to be a stay-at-home mother. Um, but I did a lot of volunteering with nonprofits. Um, many organizations, the town where I live, has more registered nonprofits per capita of anywhere in the U.S. And so it was a pretty b- deep dive. And um, I was very involved in one organization in a, in a totally different sector of, of nonprofit there were term limits. It had almost become a full-time job. I was actually president of the board of that organization. And uh, we had a term limits. And so I rolled off and realized my kids were kind of of the age in middle school. It was like, okay, time to go back to work. Um, uh, and at that time, I was involved. Um, you mentioned you have two daughters. I have one daughter and one son. Uh, but I was involved in a mother-daughter organization called National Charity League. Uh, there's a local chapter where I live. It's a six-year program for mothers and daughters. They start it in middle school, and they do philanthropic work all the way through, culminating with the end of their high school career. So early on, my daughter said, um, one of the organizations where we can do our community service is this place called Dream Foundation. It sounds really cool. Why don't we go? So we signed up. They have a local program where they deliver flowers to anyone, regardless of medical condition, in our community. So we went one Saturday down to the farmer's market, assembled bouquets together with a big group of people. We happen to live in an area that's a very big flower-growing region. And so the flowers are all donated by the flower growers, which is really incredible. And then volunteers come together, put together these amazing bouquets of flowers that um, ultimately would have been destined for the dumpster. Uh, but they get salvaged, and the organization delivers them through the help of volunteers to people in the community, elderly, um, anyone uh, in a hospital, in a cancer center, uh, your neighbor. If your neighbor lost their cat, you could call up and put your neighbor on our list, and we'd deliver them a bouquet. So my daughter and I started doing that, and I slowly got drawn into the organization, not just for the flower program, but when I went to take a tour, and I actually learned about the dream-granting program taking, cross, taking place across the country. I was so impressed by the scope of it. I was impressed by the corporate partners who are supporting the organization. We have many partners in the biopharma and healthcare space, and their employees actually serve as our volunteers across the country. Uh, we're a really small organization with a small budget, and so these amazing, amazing strategic partnerships enable us to have these volunteers that are basically our interaction, our, our hugs to to all of our patients everywhere. And so I thought that was amazing. And I also really was impressed with the in-kind partnerships of corporate partners. Um, we have airlines who donate to us every year so that we can um, fill all the travel dream requests. We have hotel partners, um, adjustable bed partners, car sharing partners. And it was just, um, it was really amazing the way it was all set up on really a shoestring, but yet to be so impactful to people. It was really um, resonated with me. Relationships make the world go round. Absolutely. Absolutely. When people see the mission, they can get pretty excited and make some pretty miraculous I mean, you wouldn't believe it that the most of the most the most important relationships that have come are when I have a problem and I say to someone, Okay, I've got this request. Here's what it is, who here's who it is, and here's what they want to do and you put it out there and it's amazing. Um, we actually had um, at one time, uh, I had three requests that came across um, my desk all in the same week. And this was when I first started. And it was to meet the Pope, the President, and Oprah. No joke, all in one week. 
And I thought, how are we ever going to do this? You know, the celebrity um, requests are the hardest because just to, to get to that person. So by the end of the week, I was able to get meet and greets with two out of the three. Whoa. And the first one happened, I was at um, one of our airline partners had a summit and I was sitting with their head of VP of communications and I just happened to mention, oh my gosh, I just got a request to, to meet the Pope. And she looked at me and said, well, let me help you. I went to school with the head of the Vatican PR. Hold on, I'll connect you. I mean, sometimes you put something out in the universe and it just, you know, um, flourishes. Um, we were also able to get to the president. It was President Obama. Um, we worked with Make-A-Wish, actually, the Mid-Atlantic states who handle all the presidential requests. Um, that was amazing. And sadly, um, I was not able to get to Oprah Winfrey, but I will not give up trying because I'm sure there'll be another request coming one of these days to, to meet with her. Wow. Mm. Wow, wow, wow. And so you said you want to talk about dreaming a little bit and what that is. Well, I think... Um, you know, we, we've fulfilled 33,000 end-of-life dreams, and we have so much anecdotal evidence about how lives are transformed. You know, the story of Gary and Bailey and how Bailey's doing amazing and what that will be like for generations. But many people want data behind it. And so a few years ago, we conducted a, a survey with the American Psychological Association to really underscore what the impact is of having a dream and having a dream granted. And so we conducted a survey and the results were really astonishing. Um, the, we did some basic um, wellness indexes where if a patient is working with a social worker, um, they would ask them questions on well-being before giving them the um, suggestion that they could apply for a dream. Then when they told them that they could apply for the dream and after the dream was granted. And the results were just um, really astronomical. I think eight out of 10 times there was a dramatic market improvement on the patient's well-being. And so just that thought of, of hoping and in, inspiration um, does so much for people. Um, we had a recipient, this is going back probably six years ago, who wanted to go to Washington, D.C. He was a veteran. He wanted to go to Washington, D.C. to show his wife and son what compelled him to serve. And he was, he was pretty ill when he came to us, and we reacted very quickly and organized the trip. And um, it just so happened that he was from Arizona. We ran a, a TV show on it. And I got a phone call the next Monday from Senator McCain's office. This was when Senator McCain was still alive. And it was one of his staffers saying, the senator you know, saw your piece while he was at home over the weekend. He understands that there's an Arizona veteran that wants to go to Washington. What can we do to help? So within the matter of a few days, this trip was so much more beyond what we could have ever possibly provided. We had this amazing access, and um, his staffers were incredible at helping us um, organize this incredible trip. And the week of the trip was shortly upon us, and the wife called to alert us that her husband's condition was, was rapidly declining, and she wasn't sure he was going to be able to go on to the trip. And she called back a few hours to say, sadly, he had died. And so I had to call all of our contacts in Washington and tell them the sad news. 
and they were really upset. But was what was so incredible that I was able to share, and this is what his wife had said to us, is, I just want you to know his last words to me were that his faith in humanity was restored by the virtue of the people granting this dream. He didn't even get to go on it, but he knew that it was going to happen. And so I think that power of persuasion and that power of inspiration and hope are so powerful. And for someone to say their last words, that their faith in humanity is restored, I think that's pretty powerful. I think it's powerful as well. And him sharing that, I think, created a ripple effect for other folks because I'm sure that story's probably been told hundreds of times by the people who have heard it. Oh, absolutely. And, and and it's not just a single case. It's the one I got to meet the family, and so it's it's very fresh in my mind. And in fact, the son um, was in college at the time, and he came and spoke at some of our fundraisers. He would go and speak with me at speaking engagements and really talk about what that meant to his father, even though his father didn't actually get to go to Washington. So uh, I was. I remained really close with the family, but I think it's a reoccurring theme when something like this happens. It's it's the power of wow. Someone would do. I put this out in the world, and and they said yes. Someone would do this for me. I mean, it's the gratitude is absolutely immense. So, is it really a dream if you can do it by yourself? Well. That's interesting. I would say in the case of our applicants at Dream Foundation, they're lacking the resources to do it by themselves. So they they can't do it themselves. And the resources could be financial, but they could also be contact, um, especially in the celebrity limelight or sports figures, something like that. So... Yes, I think it is. I mean, I I don't know about you. I have my own personal dreams. Um, I hope to be able to do them, but they're still going to be a dream until I've done them. Yeah, maybe an aspiration, but well, aspiration, dream. But mm-hmm. I think if you can do it yourself, then it's not really that big. There's not a stretch. You probably just haven't decided to go do it, right? Because you have the capacity to get it done. But I. I guess the point I want to drive home is when you want to go to that next level, when you want to experience something major, sometimes we're hesitant to ask for help. True. True. Sometimes we decide that we don't want the thing because we've got to go to this place of humility to say, I don't have or I need. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we... We don't accomplish or achieve the things that we're supposed to. I think that's a really good point, Jerome. Absolutely. And I think some people, what I hear is, you know, I'm not worthy. How would they they do this for me? I mean, it's it's um, there's a huge amount of humility. Absolutely. Um, But we see on the flip side, we also see incredible need. uh, But also, I think um, such dignity and feeling of if I could do this or if, if I could leave my family with this memory, I would have such closure. And, and I think that's pretty powerful. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. 
they often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. So, do you find that a lot of people who come to your organization just want to meet, like, celebrities? Or, like, what, is there a common thread out of that 33,000? Well, celebrities are actually a small part of the work that we do. They're the hardest (laughs) in terms of trying to organize and facilitate. Um, You know, we have some pretty broad categories, and I would say um, what I've noticed is that, well, one in three of our applicants have children in the household. And so they very commonly come to us and request some sort of memory-building experience, whether it's a theme park or a trip to the ocean or something big and bold to leave those children with a big memory. And then as the patients age, I see more bucket list items, um, things to provide inspiration, something that has been unfinished in their life. So that could be someone who's written poetry, you know, a body of work of poems, and they'd like to see them published together, or an artist who'd like to have an art exhibit, uh, or a, a musician who would like to have someone put their words to song, or a musical director to critique them. Um, we've done all of those recently, um, and those are pretty amazing. Um, there's also things we call daydreams, and that's just an experience. I'd like to go to the zoo one last time, or I'd like to go see a horse. I haven't seen a horse since I was a child, and I love horses. Um, celebrities make up a part of that as well. Sporting events, concerts, um, other types of heroes. And then a whole other side of what we do um, are comfort items. And those are basic needs, uh, I consider them. Items that are designed to alleviate suffering or provide comfort. So that could be a wheelchair ramp. We had one woman who was housebound in her home for three years because she was in a wheelchair and couldn't get out of her house and was totally separated from her church across the street. So we came in with some donated lumber and a construction team that were willing to assemble a wheelchair ramp, and suddenly the woman is across the street back with her church um, and feeling part of her community again. Um, so that wheelchair ramp, it's, it's you know vastly important. One thing that we've been doing a lot of um, during the pandemic is technology requests. So people, um, tablets, uh, iPads, so that they can connect with family members who weren't able to travel or see them. At least they can do things that you and I probably take for granted, like Zoom or you know FaceTime. Uh, a lot of technology requests, which have been great. We've also had some incredibly humble requests. Um, we had one man that asked us for an Amazon gift card uh, to be given to his social worker so that she could order some things for him. He lived in a facility where he wasn't comfortable receiving payment. He was worried it would be stolen. And when we asked him what he was going to buy with that Amazon gift card, he wanted bread and socks. 
pretty humble. Um, but for somebody with circulatory issues and is bedbound, socks are really important. And so to be able to get him warm, comfortable socks uh, transform things. Um, another example that really moved me was a 92-year-old man who had um, radiation on his throat. He had throat cancer. And his elderly wife, who was disabled, was buying big blocks of ice and manually chipping them with an ice pick to give him chips of ice so that he could suck on them to provide comfort for the sores that were in his throat from the radiation. And so for us, we came in with a countertop-mounted ice chipper. And imagine how easy that is um, and just transform things for them. So you and I think, how can an ice chipper be a dream? But for that couple in that moment and what they were going through and their situation, it truly was a dream for them. So dreams come in many forms. Well, and I don't think it's for anybody to decide whether the dream is... Yeah, appropriate or not. It's no. what they want. It's what they want. I mean, of course, we have budgetary restrictions and, and those sorts of things, but um, it's it's the need. What What is it that would be most beneficial to you at this moment? That's interesting. You, we go from creating memories to reducing suffering. Right. Two different... Mm-hmm. Vastly different. Experiences. Mm-hmm. So... This may be a tough question, but I feel like I got to ask it. What has granting these dreams taught you? Oh, it's taught me so much. I mean, you know, I think it was, it definitely took me a few years to find my stride with my not wanting to just burst into tears every time I heard about a request because it just really was, was hard. What helped with that was really realizing and meeting the families of our recipients and realizing the gratitude that they feel. And we've had family members come back to us 15, 20 years later saying, I was a child when you granted this dream to my parent who was dying. And I wasn't in a position. I was a student. I was starting my career. I wasn't in a position to do anything to help you. But I've never forgotten what you did. And now I'd like to become a donor, Um, which is pretty incredible to see um, not only how long those memories and that impact last, but to see them turning around and and paying it forward um, is pretty incredible. Um, But it's taught me, you know, well, I don't get to, re- to meet every recipient. We have to, too many, and they're across the country. We're a small organization. But when people apply to us, they write a letter to us as well, in addition to filling out a form. They write a letter as to why it's important. And I really think it gives a sense of who they are, what they stand for. And um, like, had we read Gary, whose dream I spoke about earlier, you know, I want to go to Sleeping Beauty's castle, I would have filed that away with, okay, a Disney dream. Great. We do those all the time. But when we read about the father-daughter dance, that was like, oh, you know, we will move mountains to make that happen. Um, it It was pretty incredible. So for me, I always think about the impact and what it means to that family. And I think, um, you know, it's also taught me a lot about mortality and, and what people value as they are facing the end of their days. Some pretty common themes. I'd say families is up there as much as they can. Or reconnecting with lost family members is also um, 
closure is is very important and, and something we really feel that we're helping provide many people. You said the word closure. Mm -hmm. Is that what this is for a lot of them? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have situations where someone has a life expectancy of eight weeks or less. We call that an emergency dream, and we really just, it goes to the top of the pile, and we, we work on it as quickly as we can to make it happen because we know that they don't have much time left. And often cases, those will revolve around family reunions, um, moving someone to be able to go and have a final bedside goodbye. And that's really important for closure, for all aspects, for everyone involved, but um, not only for the person who's dying, but for those who are being left behind. So closure is very important. It's actually part of our uh, mission statement. Uh, we offer dreams that provide inspiration, comfort, and closure. For the people who are left behind, and I don't know if that's the right way to characterize it, but those are the best words I have right now. Mm. What do they need? Like, there's the experience, there's the memory, there's closure for the person who's going to mm -hmm. pass on. Mm -hmm. But what about the survivors? What about the ones that are left behind? Do you have insight into that? Well, we keep in touch as, as well as we can. Many families, you know, they're going through so much, and sometimes it will take a while until we hear from them. Um, and I've started recently, in the last few years, um, when I'm asked to, to bring along a recipient, you know, or bring along a patient, I have started asking, and some of our partners like us to do that, particularly those in healthcare. Um, they want to know who the, who they're serving, who their their contributions are going to support. What I like to do instead is bring a surviving spouse. And I like to do it about three or five years after the time that their loved one has died. And what I ask them to talk about is what the dream meant to their spouse, what it meant to them at the time, and what does it mean to them now, you know, three, four, five years later after their loved one has died. And, you know, time and time again, I hear it means more to me now, knowing that they had this dream fulfilled. It left us with these memories. It left the kids with this. It, you know, was able, it enabled this for our family. And it's one of my fondest and, you know, happiest moments that we were able to do this. And so I think that um, happiness in a time of extreme sadness is something that really fills people for a long time. Happiness in a time of extreme sadness. Mm -hmm. And so it's this moment, even though we know the situation is, Absolutely. but we can create this moment. Mm-hmm. And everyone can rally behind it and get behind it and um, view it as a celebration. Um, With them still there versus yeah. waiting until so, after. Right. But knowing that, you, that whatever it is that this person wanted more than anything, this is it. And they were able to fulfill that. I mean, what a feeling of accomplishment. I think we all should be fulfilling whatever we want the most. Mm -hmm. I agree. Right? I, I don't I don't think we should have to be in a dire situation to actually make the effort to do the thing. Yeah. I mean, I would say absolutely yes, if you have the financial means to do that. Um, many of the families that apply to us 
have originated as a, a dual-income family. And because of the disease and the diagnosis, suddenly they're down one salary, and then the second person becomes the caregiver. And the cost of treatments and, and you know, health care and medical expenses can decimate families. And so they're so busy managing the business of the disease, there's nothing left to do these special things um, or extra things. And so that's where we come in, and that's, that's our honor and privilege to be able to do that. The listeners out there want to jump in and help you guys make some dreams a reality. How do they do that? Um, they can start online. Uh, our website is dreamfoundation.org. And we have how to help, how to get involved, how to donate. We, um, we have people, you should follow us on social media for sure. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. And we, when our recipients are open to it, we profile their stories. And so we, have, we share a lot of the stories. We have videos. And you can really get behind and understand the stories. But... What else has been happening on social media is people are launching their own, you know, birthday fundraisers on Facebook or other peer-to-peer platforms. But we have volunteers um, raising funds on our behalf all over the country at any given moment. Golf tournaments, garage sales, bake sales, lemonade stands. Um, we had a corporation do a chili cook-off and, and a beard-growing competition. Um, you know, all kinds of employee engagement. Um, we have employees going to their employer and saying, what are you doing for your corporate social responsibility? And can we have an employee giving program? And we nominate Dream Foundation. Um, there's a ton of ways. If, if you're a frequent flyer, we're always looking for airline miles. We have that on our website on how people can donate those. So there's a lot of ways um, that people can get involved. And, and if you just are interested in volunteering in your area, uh, let us know. We'd love, to, we'd love to hear from you. Wow. Wow. Kisa, you're a dream catcher. Well, thank you, Jerome. And you, I, think, I think you are, too. Well, I just want to inspire people to go do the thing. But you, ma'am, you're, you're changing lives in a way that's unforgettable in each interaction. And you do it not looking for praise. You do it without expectation you and I don't know what happened along your journey to make you want to dedicate so much of your life to something like this because something had to happen for it to move to that level and whatever that is I'm glad it happened because there's this ripple effect that's happening as a result of your work and so I just want to acknowledge you for that because I I suspect in the chair that you sit in, that you don't hear a whole lot of that. You probably hear more people complaining if you guys don't get it done than anything else. <laughs> and that's not fair. Actually, no. You know, our guidelines are, are pretty easy. And I would say 
in the majority of the cases, people are so easy. They're so gr just full of gratitude. It's um, it's really wonderful. And you know, our my dream is to be able to serve more people, and we can only do that. We we don't receive any state or federal funding. We rely solely on private donations to continue to do our work, and so. Um, you know, the more people that want to get behind us and support us, that just enables us to serve more. And the need is there. You know, you look at um, cases of diseases and the increase of them. Um, we're focusing on a few diseases this year on really bringing awareness to them and helping to try to serve more people that have those conditions. Uh, it's the first time we've done this, um, but we are sort of taking a deep dive into Parkinson's, into lymphoma, and into a specific form of breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer. And that doesn't mean that that's all that we're serving. We're not by any means, um, but those are areas that we're trying to serve more people on. Um, but we have, you know, a huge range of, of conditions. I would say that cancer makeup about 60% of the applications that we receive and then kind of some broad categories below that. But, you know, the numbers of, of the people that we're serving, there are so many more people diagnosed across the country with a terminal diagnosis. So, so But you're kind to say that. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Final question. Okay. What's the one thing you want our listeners to take away from this episode? Well, we spoke this morning, uh, or when I did my presentation to the group, and, you know, I, I tried to really bring it to home to think about what would you do for someone in your own family? You would move mountains to grant them their final request, and the requests that we receive aren't that difficult. And to be able to help someone with their final request whether you know them or not, is one of the most rewarding and humbling experiences. And so um, anyone who is interested, I would love to talk to them about that. Outstanding. Coming to you live from GoBundance, Miami. Kisa, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to spend some time with you today. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Thank you so much, Jerome. What a pleasure speaking with you. To the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>